0: If you would, turn with me in the Bible to Nehemiah chapter 1. It's been a long time since I've said that. Some of y'all might remember that we tried to start a study of Nehemiah several weeks ago. Maybe you all remember that. Uh, I want to ask you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. You may not know where that is. In the middle of your Bible is Psalms, and if you start going backwards, after, before Psalms is Job... Before Job is Esther, and before Esther is Nehemiah. I ask you to find it. Don't, don't, don't say I don't know where it is and stop. Find it. And once you find it, you put a bookmark there, or some Bibles have like a ribbon like this. Put that there, and we're going to be in Nehemiah now for the next several weeks. This is what we typically do at our church. We choose a book, and we walk through it, and we want to make sure that we cover everything that this book says. and. Over the years, we've been through many, many different books, and we will preach on what God has us to preach on, what what his word says. I hope that y'all are encouraged and strengthened in your faith to know that you don't show up here on a Sunday to hear whatever I want to talk about. That would not be good, and it'd probably be the same old thing. But instead, we'll walk through a book of the Bible. We'll study the whole book of Nehemiah. We'll spend several weeks on this. And at the conclusion of it, you and I and our church will say, We may not know a lot, but we know more now about the book of Nehemiah. May God use that. May that be used by God for you. Nehemiah is a good book. It's a small one. And so I want to give you a little bit of introduction here. Now, again, I I already, in your bulletin, it says Nehemiah 1, round 2. Some of y'all may have noticed that. Uh, I'm I'm more or less doing the same message here this morning, okay? Um, And I... I'm not very good at that. I'll go ahead and confess that now. Um, I I preach from the heart, and so it's hard for me to go back and do the exact same thing. Uh, But we're going to try to do that today, and then next Sunday, we'll just keep it moving into a new sermon from Nehemiah chapter 2, all right? Um, So a little bit of overview on the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah never appears in the Bible outside of this book. There are a lot of main characters in the Bible that you see all over the place, right? David and Abraham and Joseph and those type of people. You find them Old Testament, New Testament, all over the place. Their names come up. Not Nehemiah. He's, he's just here. Um, some translations of the Bible call Nehemiah second Ezra. The book before Nehemiah is Ezra. And some translations of the Bible say first Ezra, second Ezra, and they don't call it Nehemiah. It's the same uh, message, same same. same book, the title of it, which is given by man, not by God, is Second Ezra. So what that tells us is that Ezra and Nehemiah go together. There are a lot of people that would say, why would you even dare start with just Nehemiah? you got to preach Ezra first and then Nehemiah because they go together. Today we're starting Nehemiah and only Nehemiah, but we will mention Ezra a lot. Nehemiah is a fascinating guy. He didn't get a lot of attention you may, have, you may be sitting here today going, I don't know anything about Nehemiah. I don't know anything about the book of Nehemiah. I've never heard of him. I couldn't tell you anything about it. And so that's a good thing. That's why we're going to study it. His name means Jehovah Comforts. Jehovah is the name of God. The Lord Comforts. The Lord Comforts. That's what it means. Not only is Nehemiah not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, but his book is not even quoted in the New Testament. You know, that's a big thing, right? The the New Testament is built upon the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is quoted so many times in the New Testament, but not Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not quoted there either, okay? So what's it about? Well, the Old Testament and history teaches us that Israel and Jerusalem was overtaken, Captured Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem. You can read all about this in 2 Kings 25 if you're interested. Took the people, took them into exile, burnt down the capital city, Jerusalem, right? Tore down the walls. This this overtaking, this war, this battle. And so now you've got Israelites living in Babylon You've got some that have now gone back to Jerusalem, right? That's what we're dealing with here. Nehemiah, okay, Nehemiah lives in Babylon. He was a captive, but he now works for the king. We're going to get into that in just a little bit. And so this book is about him. It's interesting. It's, it's, It's fascinating. Jerusalem's overtaken, broken down, and the people of Israel are now exiles living in Babylon. Now, Nehemiah, this book, it's a small one, but Nehemiah, the book and his story is gonna get you to think a lot. We're about 10 days from school starting back. And when kids go back to school, a lot of times they will get asked by their teacher or by a kid, what did you do this summer? And it's been over two months, And so hopefully there's something they can say. They can say we went to kids camp with church or we played outside or maybe we went swimming or we were so hot that we were miserable, you know, something, right? And so a lot of times what my wife Val will do with our kids is she will kind of prepare them for that question and she'll say, hey, when you get to school, if the teacher asks what you do this summer, what are you going to say? That's a good thing to prepare for. Let's have a good answer ready. And I don't know what God's gonna ask when we get to the end of our lives, but it is a good way to kind of frame life. When we get to the end of our lives, and we stand before God, if we are to reflect, or we were to be asked, what did you do with your life? There aren't many answers that satisfy. Even reflecting upon that causes you to go, I don't really like what I would say. I don't really like what I'm doing right now that I would say, like, that sounds terrible. I wouldn't tell God that. And so I want to allow Nehemiah's life because what comes out of Nehemiah is such a a burden, such a desire, such a, you see Nehemiah going, that doesn't sit right with me. The things I see going on don't sit right with me. Somebody ought to do something about that. And Nehemiah is not the guy who always says, Somebody else ought to do something about that. Nehemiah says, somebody needs to do something about that, and why not me? I'll do something about it. And so this burdened life of, I want to do something in my life for God, will help us. If you've never been through a book study, I ask you to kind of settle in and, and saddle up. If you typically come to church once a month or twice a month, I ask you just for the next several weeks to to try to be committed and try to be here every Sunday so that you can study the book of Nehemiah. I trust that after several weeks, you'll think, man, I'm kind of engaged on this. This is cool. I've never done a a, a book study like this where we're just walking through, and you'll learn a lot. Now, let me give two things. I'm going to keep bringing these up. Two things I want you to hear about Nehemiah. One is leadership, and the other is application. Nehemiah is an excellent book on leadership, okay? And lots of people use the book of Nehemiah to just give lessons on leadership. We do not want to do that, okay? We do not want to do that. This is the word of God. The word of God is pointing people to salvation that God provides through his love, through Christ that he sent to die for us. There's only one way to get right with God, and that is through Jesus Christ taking your judgment and punishment for sins. And when we trust in him and the love that God has for us, God forgives us of our sins and welcomes us into his family. Nehemiah is a leader, and there are all sorts of leadership lessons that come out of this book, but his burden was for God. The things he went and did came out of a heart for God. Leadership lessons in a church disconnected from a heart for God are pretty shallow and weak. Church, may you and I be so much more than just what we do in our own strength. There will be lots of leadership lessons through the study of Nehemiah, but may they come from a heart for Jesus, not just leadership. Also, you may be sitting here going, well, I'm not even into leadership. I'm past being a leader, never was a leader. I'm more of a follower, so I don't even really care. Can we move on to the next sermon series? Hey, you may not identify yourself as a leader, but we're all leaders. You may be a leader on your team or at your job. You may not be. But you're absolutely a leader in your home when you need to be. And perhaps more importantly at all, you are a leader to yourself. You ought to look yourself in the mirror and say, who's who's leading you? Who's going to take responsibility for this? What are the things that I need to do? What am I burdened about? What needs to change? What needs to be done? And you look yourself in the mirror, certainly Jesus is your ultimate leader but you look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm not looking for anybody else to do what I ought to be doing for myself. In the name of Jesus, with your eyes on Christ, by faith in God and his power working through you, take hold of the responsibilities in your life. Don't put those off if you can be doing them. So there's a lot of leadership going on through Nehemiah and you'll see that. The second thing is application. Because of all the leadership lessons, You find yourself going, yeah, here's what we ought to be doing. Or yes, here's what somebody ought to be doing. Or why isn't somebody doing that? That will come up a lot in Nehemiah. It's really good. But we have to be careful to make sure that Nehemiah's, what he did and what he asked people to do and what he got people to do as a leader, where it came from. So the application here is always about doing this for God. What happens in Nehemiah is you get a burden and you, and you say you want to do something, and you see that with Nehemiah, and so then you find yourself going, yeah, I want to do something too. I'm tired of my city looking like this, or I'm tired of my home looking like this, or I'm tired of my family looking like this, or I'm tired of myself looking like this, and I want to do something about it, right? And, and we got to be careful to make sure that I'm not just standing up here telling you all, hey, if, if there's trash that needs to be picked up, you need to pick up the trash. That's a point of application, but there's so much more that needs to be understood before we... Get to that, okay? So we have to be really, really careful with that. And hopefully you're following me with it, okay? Man, the last thing I want, and hopefully the last thing you want, is for me to get up here and say, okay, now here's what we gotta do. We gotta find some people that are gonna watch kids, and we gotta find some people that are gonna cook meals, and we gotta find some people that are gonna be nicer, right? That's not the point. There's some application that will come out of this. But the point is that you would have a heart for what God is doing in your life and in our community and in our world and you would say, this is what God wants me to do and I don't know what that is and then you apply it, okay? I wanna be careful with that. I'm gonna to try to say that a lot. Leadership and application, may it not be emphasized apart from you trusting in Christ, okay? When it comes to the end of your life, You have to reflect upon, what did I do with my life? May you be thinking about God. May you be thinking about, I gave it to God, or I did it for God, or I valued God, or I sought to honor God as I did this. Read with me, if you will, chapter one of Nehemiah. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the, city, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped. That's some huge context there who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments... And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. Starts off pretty intense, doesn't it? That's how the short books do, they cut right to the chase. Nehemiah isn't very long, but it's good. He's a cupbearer. Did you see that? Last sentence of chapter one, he's a cupbearer. You know what a cupbearer is? It's a unique position. You don't get there because you're so great or you got so much status or you're so special or significant, but it is a very significant role. See, in those days, the king had so much power, there were always attempts to kill him. People realized if we can get rid of the king, we can change the course of everything. Society will completely change if we can kill the king. And so there were a lot of attempts to kill the king. And you know what one of the most common attempts was? Poison. Get him to drink something that will kill him. Well, they knew that. So the kink so the king never took the first sip of any drink. Never. Too risky. That is way too risky. You know? You kind of like when the milk is way out of date and you're like, doesn't smell too bad. And you ask around the house, hey, taste this. Tell me if it's bad, right? And sometimes it's not that bad, but every once in a while you get you chunky milk. The king had a cupbearer, somebody that would drink his drinks before him. In other words, risk their life. (laughs) And if it was poisonous, the cupbearer would die so the king didn't have to. So it wasn't a very like... Special role, you don't have to have pedigree and you know, education and strength and all this awesome status to get that role. But if you're in that role, you spend a lot of time in the king's palace. You're with him a lot. Every time he drinks, you got to be there to drink it first. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, late night drink, whatever. The cupbearer was always with the king or was with the king a lot. And so you see how it doesn't mean Nehemiah was this great guy as far as status. But he was with the king of Babylon a lot. A unique situation. That's Nehemiah. That's who we're learning about here. And would you know it, he had a heart for God. He was focused on God. Even though he didn't live where he wanted to live. Even though he was now living as an exile, even though he was now serving a king that did not believe in the God that he believed in, Nehemiah was there trusting in his God as the cupbearer. Now remember, he was an Israelite. He was one of those that had been overtaken by Babylon, captured and taken into exile. Nehemiah the Israelite, the cupbearer to the king of Babylon. I want to give you three points this morning to express the heart of Nehemiah and that you and I would have a similar heart. Number one, Nehemiah had genuine concern. He had genuine concern. Look what it says here in verses 1 and 2. Now, it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th years. I was in Susa, the city. So Susa is like this vacation spot for the the wealthy. We we read a lot in history that the kings would go there, kind of like a winter destination or something like that. You might remember that Susa is the setting of the book of Esther. Some of you all remember that word, Susa? That's where they're at, which means that's where the king's at. That's what the king's doing. And Nehemiah is only there because the king's there, all right? They're in Susa. And Hananiah, that's one of his brothers, like his actual family brother, came with certain men, some other guys, from Judah. So they're they're coming back to where they live because they've been captured to exile there, but they went to visit Jerusalem. They went back to see. They had gone back to check out what it's like where they're from. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. Right there, you got the word concerning twice. He asked them about it. It's a hard question to ask, right? You know that if you ask a deep question, you might get a deep answer, right? You ever ask somebody something out of concern, and they unload it on you, and then they followed it up with, you probably wish you hadn't asked, don't you? Hey, when you're concerned, genuinely concerned, you're glad you asked, aren't you? Even if that answer is a heavy one. Hey, because of the cross of Christ, some 2,000 years ago, the Son of God was crucified publicly on a cross. That type of capital punishment is normal. There were others punished with him. But Jesus never sinned. He was wrongly killed. He was innocent. Because of that cross of Christ, and because on the third day after that, God raised him up and he lives forever, lives forever, that evil thing of the cross and that perfect plan of God, which is the cross, because of that and the resurrection of Jesus that he lives, things matter to us. That's some simple terminology, folks, but things matter to us. In other words, concern is a real part of the Christian faith. May we not be so self-absorbed and so into making a name for ourselves and so into just trying to do good for ourselves that we have forgotten to be concerned. Heartfelt, deep interest and genuine concern. Folks, we live for the glory of God. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us. The Psalm says, but to your name be the glory. We have a desire and a heart and a burden that is deeper than just surface level stuff. We want God to be worshiped and glorified, lifted high, magnified through our lives. And therefore, we care about things. Things matter to us and they mattered here to Nehemiah. He's doing his thing down there. He's cupbearer to the king. He's got a lot to worry about. Every sip he takes could be his last. But some of his brothers that have been through the war-torn, rummage, difficulty of this life. Some of the people that aren't sleeping well and eating well. Some of the people that he cares most about. Some of the people who are hurting and lost and wandering in their faith, come back. And Nehemiah says, how was it? You can almost picture that, can't you? Nehemiah cut bare to the king and some guys come back from Jerusalem, knowing all that's just happened in Jerusalem. I mean, there's some brutal stuff. I, I, I kind of sensing that y'all aren't, aren't, aren't following me right now. I'm just going to read you a little bit. I told you it's in 2 Kings 25. Don't turn there. I'm so out of time. We'll blame it on the Ecuador report. 2 Kings 25, 9 says, and he burned the house of the Lord. And the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem, every great house he burned down. Nehemiah felt that. Nehemiah knows about that. Nehemiah knows people who lost everything. Nehemiah knows people who have not found themselves yet. Nehemiah knows people living in the trauma of that. And he's got a brother and some people that are coming back from checking it out. And he says, how was it? He dared ask and the answer wasn't great. Nehemiah had a genuine concern. Church, I know we're busy, and I know life's hard. One of the real and genuine characteristics of Christianity, true God-given Christianity, is concern for others. Concern that they would know the everlasting life that comes through Jesus Christ. We want people to know him. We want people to know him and so deeply We care, we are concerned. One of the good things going here at First Baptist Church Fairdale are our Wednesday nights. I know Wednesday night doesn't work for everybody. Some of y'all work, some of y'all have stuff going on. There's a lot of things that get in the way of Wednesday night, I know that, but for those that make it, they are fantastic. There's a lot that goes on here on a Wednesday night. If you've not gotten on board with that yet, we would love for you to come. There are lots of different things that happen. You can come and sit, you can come and work, you can be involved, you can help out. There are a a lot of things. What I love most about Wednesday nights is that we have an actual prayer meeting. We sit downstairs, we spend a little bit of time of saying, Hey, what can we pray about? And then we just close our eyes and pray. It's like the least attractive service a church could possibly have. We are fully aware it's not attractional. If you invite a friend to that and say, hey, come on, it's gonna be awesome, they're gonna leave going, that wasn't awesome. It's a small church with an even smaller group meeting in a basement in the bottom of a church to pray. But you know what happens in there? I love it, it's one of my favorite things that we do. You know what happens in there? Somebody raise their hand and say, My marriage is struggling. Would you pray for it? I've been talking to my neighbor, and they're concerned about their soul. Would you pray for that? Because I'm going to talk more with them. Hey, I've got a kid that's considering trusting in Christ. And he went to kids camp this week. Would you pray for them? Hey, this week we had somebody come through the food pantry that said they just took in two babies. And they don't have any diapers. As you sit around and you hear of needs and what God's doing in people's lives, if you care... The burdens will come up, and the concern will increase. A prayer meeting is not very attractive, but it will increase your concern. It is getting our hearts focused on what God is focused on. Nehemiah models genuine concern when he asks, how was it? But Nehemiah not only models a genuine concern But after he gets the answer, he models a godly grief. A godly grief. Look at verses 3 and 4, what happens. Those guys answer his question by saying, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Bad answer. Nehemiah probably thought that's what was the case, but that's not what he wanted to hear. Upon hearing that bad answer, we look at verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah felt this, didn't he? You ever ask somebody how they're doing? They answered, and you don't remember how they answered? That wasn't this. You ever ask somebody how they're doing, and you said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I'll pray for you, but by the time you're home, you've forgotten and you never prayed about it. Nehemiah wasn't this. Nehemiah felt this. Nehemiah was working, doing whatever he was doing. Those guys come back and say, how was it? They tell him, and Nehemiah goes, oh, man. The Bible says Nehemiah had to sit down, and that was was heavy. Maybe he wasn't ready for that, Maybe he had hoped things were getting better. Nehemiah modeled a godly grief here. Hey, you know grief is a good thing. If you've ever been to some of the funerals that we've had, we say that. Grief can be a good thing. It means that the right things are bothering you. If somebody you love dies, you should feel that, right? You ever heard somebody say, good grief? The origin of that expression is grief for a good reason. Nehemiah here shows us good grief, but even more so, godly grief. The city of the people of God, the hub of the people of God, where the original temple was, where the people went to worship, where God met with them, Jerusalem has been overtaken. The house of God has been destroyed and burnt down. It's horrible. The people of God are in captivity. There's a godly grief here. Leaders, like Nehemiah, who wasn't in a leadership position, he's just modeling leadership capabilities. Leaders are sensitive to the needs of others around them. There are times when you and I should be grieving. When you are a part of something, you feel when something's going on with a part of that thing. If something happens to our state, it should bother us. If something happens to our city, it should bother us. If something happens to Fairdale, it should bother us. We're a part of those things. We feel because we're a part of it. And the New Testament teaches us this specifically as we are a part of a church in the the faith community. You remember when the Bible says, if one person among us weeps, we all weep. And if one person among us rejoices, we all rejoice. In other words, we feel for each other this is a godly grief, this is a good thing Christians are to be those people who are sensitive to what is going on around us we can't, I I, I like simplicity, the New Testament teaches that actually but you can't be so simple minded that all you're doing is thinking about yourself and you're not worried about what's going on with everybody else there's hurts and needs and opportunities around us that God wants us to walk in and if they're hurting people among us or around us, we ought to feel that. Jesus taught us this right after Palm Sunday, right after the triumphal entry as he rides into Jerusalem. Literally the very next verse, triumphal entry, Luke 19, the very next verse, Luke 19, 41 says, And when Jesus drew near to the city of Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it." These people are supposed to be here living for God, and they don't. He was grieved. Commentator T.J. Betts says, in speaking about Nehemiah, his perseverance in prayer and fasting, because that's what he did, you see that, is an indication of what his priorities are. And it's an indication of the depth of his faith. Look at verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying for the God of heaven. When was the last time spiritually your world was rocked? Not because of job loss, not because of how expensive everything is, that happens every day, not because of that stuff. Spiritually speaking, somebody used to sit on the pew beside of you, ain't about it anymore. Somebody grew up and said they, they've moved on. They, they ain't doing church. They don't believe in God anymore. When are you don't feel that, be grieved by that. Nehemiah was grieved over the state of Jerusalem. One commentator says The point that I want to make is this the people that God uses are people who care about the things that God cares about. And God cared about the fact that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. God did. And since God cared about it, Nehemiah cared about it. And that made Nehemiah a leader. If our church wants to make a difference in your family's lives, or our church wants to make a difference in this town, or wherever we want to make a difference, it will only be because we care about what God cares about. And to the degree that you and I grieve over lostness and brokenness, and then we move out of that grief. I mentioned our Wednesday night prayer meeting. We give out a prayer sheet every Wednesday night that is a very important to us. This is always with me. And at the top of it, it says this. If it matters to God, it matters to me. That's faith right there. I believe him. If it doesn't matter to God, well, I ain't going to get worked up over it. If it matters to God, it matters to me. Listen to this next sentence. If it matters to you, then it matters to us. That's church community. That's life on life. That's people that matter. I don't know what matters to you, but if it does, it matters to me. I don't know what matters to God unless I grow in his word, and if it matters to God, it matters to me. I want to be grieved about the things that God's grieved about. T.J. Betts in his commentary on Nehemiah says this. Nehemiah's reaction is more than just a reflection of his culture or his religious tradition. Nehemiah is deeply grieved by the great distress and the reproach of the people and the broken down condition of the holy city. Nehemiah sincerely empathizes with the misery of his people that they are experiencing. The bold actions that Nehemiah takes to rectify the situation in Judah are born out of a deep burden for its people and his commitment to God. A couple months back at our Friday night map meeting, Brianna Hughes was up to give her devotional. Is she here today? Nursery. She was up to give her devotional on a Friday night thing. She could do it on anything she wanted to. She opened us up to Thessalonians and showed us where the Bible says that Christians are to encourage the discouraged. That rocked my world. You know anybody that's discouraged lately? It's your responsibility to bring courage into that. You got to get up in it. You got to welcome some discouraged friends. You got to open up your life and your schedule to let the discouraged in so that you might encourage them. Man, I felt that. Nehemiah feels that. How's it going, guys? It's horrible. The walls are broken down. There's shame. I mean, he uses that word. They're in great trouble and shame in verse 3. I know some people that are in great trouble. Nehemiah feels it so much. He's grieved over that godly grief that he wants to get involved. Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, says this. Let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. That's the first step in being a great leader, being sensitive to the needs around you, wanting to make a difference. We've gotten really good at recognizing problems and maybe not as much at trying to be the solution. Why is that? Well, I don't know. But a part of it is recognizing the problem is not the same thing as being godly grieved by the problem. It's easy to recognize problems and to get mad. It's easy to recognize that shouldn't be that way and that shouldn't be that way and that shouldn't be that. It's easy to do that. It's just observation. But when it bothers you to your core for a God reason, when we realize that Christ loves people and gave himself for them and we're grieved out of godly concern, maybe then we'll be moved to do what needs to be done in our capacity. Nehemiah had a genuine concern, Nehemiah had a godly grief, and now finally, Nehemiah had a good burden. That's the end, he had a good burden. If we start at verse five, we see what he prayed. Verse four tells us that he prayed, and he prayed a lot, and he continued praying, but now five all the way till the end, five through 11, Tells us what he prayed. So let's look at it. I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. Notice that. He does not at all get real selfish and start going, why, God, why, why are you letting this happen? I don't deserve this. I've been, all I've tried to do is be good my whole life, and I, I, never, I never do anything to harm anybody. I don't know why this happened to me. When you start praying like that, that's the surest sign that you're not trusting in Christ. Nehemiah doesn't do that. The book of Nehemiah presents to us Nehemiah as an exemplary believer, and in this prayer, he confesses his sins, he confesses his father's house's sins, He confesses everybody's sins in the people of Israel. In other words, God let this happen for a reason, he believes. He's not self-centered here. He is burdened here. Verse 7, we have acted very corruptly against you, have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples? But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. He recognizes that it's because of the sinfulness of the people of God that God allowed this to happen. God had told them that would happen. Now, under the old covenant, I don't want to spend a lot of time here. Under the old covenant, God said, if you obey me, I'll bless you and you disobey me, I'll curse you, God said that. Listen, folks, the old covenant never saved. It was never intended to save. It didn't save them then, it doesn't save people now. Don't you dare apply that to your life now, that's not it. God is not telling you if you obey him, he's gonna take you to heaven. If you're thinking that here this morning, I beg you to run to Christ. The old covenant does not save. God gave the old covenant so that you and I would keep seeing that don't work. It didn't work for them. It didn't work for Nehemiah. It never works. You can't make a handshake with God that says, God, God, I get to go to heaven if I obey you. God said, yeah. Okay, deal, man. I I got it. As soon as you leave, you're going to find yourself going, I can't keep up my end of that handshake. The old covenant can't save you. It was never meant to save you. That handshake is to make you say, I dropped the ball again, God. Let's, let's, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's make a different covenant because that one doesn't work. And God gave that covenant for you and I to see we can't keep it. We're not good enough, God. And so God gave a new covenant. New covenants in the Old Testament, new covenants in the New Testament, and the new covenant is if you will trust in Christ and all of his good works and his obedience to the old covenant, because he never disobeyed the old covenant. If you will trust in Christ, I'll forgive all your sins. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put my Holy Spirit within you, and I will cause you to love me. That's the new covenant. Don't do anything to get it. Trust in Christ who gives it. Isn't it beautiful? And Nehemiah is here praying, God, we failed the old covenant. Everybody in the Bible confesses we failed the old covenant. We need a savior. And that's what Nehemiah is crying out, which means, man, he's right on it. Nehemiah's is on it. Nehemiah gets it. God, we could not earn your favor off of our goodness. Would you give your favor out of your goodness? Let me say it again. Nehemiah says, God, we couldn't earn your favor off of our goodness, but would you please give your favor based off of your goodness? Our badness, but your goodness, would you give your favor? And he prays that. He humbly, humbly prays that. And then in verse 10, he reminds God. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Nehemiah knows his people's history. Nehemiah knows about deliverance and the exodus and, and all of the things. Nehemiah knows that the people of Israel have a long history of disobeying and God staying faithful to them. Their, their history is filled with disobedience and redemption. And Nehemiah prays that to God. These are your people. These are the people that you're working in. Would you remember that? And then in verse 11 we get the main thing, okay? You gotta know verse 11. I know I know, we're super late. It was the Ecuador th- stuff. <laughs> verse 11. Oh, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Look what he says. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. His prayer was God I'm going to go talk to the king. When he says this man, he's referring to the king. You'll see that next week in chapter two. God, I'm going to go talk to the king. I'm going to ask the king. I'm the cupbearer. I'm going to ask the king, let me go back to Jerusalem. I can't take it anymore. Let me go back to Jerusalem and start the work to rebuild the place. And he prays to God to give that to him. Nehemiah is asking God. To put the burden on him. Nehemiah is wanting to do something about it. His concern turned into grief. Turned into burden. And the burden on a godly person says, I want to do something for the glory of God. Betts writes, the Lord is not only moving in the heart of Nehemiah. But he is providentially putting Nehemiah in the proper place to act on the behalf of Jerusalem. It is just one more instance in the Bible where we where one sees God at work on a grander scale while at the same time working in the lives of particular individuals in specific situations. He goes on: even though Nehemiah serves the Persian king, Nehemiah is first and foremost serving the Lord. He is cupbearer to the king, but he is praying to God for favor with that king. When the situation needed a leader, Nehemiah said, I volunteer. Here am I. Send me. He had the job, the position that everybody else wants, and the problem, you could say, was a thousand miles away. It was two months away across the desert on a camel, and Nehemiah says, I'll go. He prays to God about it. Nehemiah says I'm not even a contractor But I'll go rebuild the wall God still chose him Even though he didn't have the skills For that particular job But he was sensitive He was dependable And he was available I know you've heard this before But God is not looking for ability In leaders As much as he's looking for credibility Dependability And availability There is nothing In the Bible that teaches us that Nehemiah was so awesome. There is a Nehemiah that says, I believe God. And the people of God and the place of God are not in a good spot. So God, use me. Church, as Christian people, may you and I have a good burden. May we not be content to say, Doesn't bother me. Doesn't affect me. I don't have any to do with that. May you and I feel this needs to be done. That needs to be done. There needs to be attention here. And may God use us. May God give us, like Nehemiah, genuine concern, godly grief, and a good burden. And may faith in Christ be the key ingredient. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the book of Nehemiah and this introduction God, I'm already ready to preach chapter 2 as we keep going with the story. Father, I pray that we would not be a church that is not aware of the needs around us. Oh God, make us concerned, make us grieved, make us burdened. Make us a church of action and a church of obedience. God, may this Christianity be a real thing lived out by faith because worthy is the Lamb. May your love for us be what drives us. God, may your love for people be what's flowing through us. And may the Lord Jesus Christ be lived out here. God, work through us, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.